Our scripture reading this morning is going to be taken from the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, we're starting our uh, Advent series today. We're going to be looking at Christmas through the eyes of the Apostle Paul this year, looking at uh, selected, selected readings from his epistles. So today, Colossians chapter 1 is where we'll be. Grace Presbyterian Church is a Christian organization. Now that probably doesn't surprise you. Uh, We're a church. We profess to follow Jesus, although we profess to follow him imperfectly. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we want people, not just in here, but we want people outside of these walls to hear this message, this good news that we believe about Jesus Christ and what he's done. We want to get the word out, in other words. But that can be hard for us to do, right? We're busy. Um, we're fearful sometimes about what people will think about us. We don't want to be perceived as, as, as Bible thumpers or something like that. We're not always sure what we need to say. And the people that we're interested in talking to, they're busy too. And everybody's got this fear of the awkward. And spiritual conversations can be awkward. And sometimes, to be quite honest, the people we want to talk to about Jesus aren't really that interested in hearing anything about Jesus. But what if... Every year, for a solid month, everybody was thinking about Jesus. Or at least thinking about his birth. Or, well, maybe participating in the celebration of Jesus' birth. Or, well, maybe at least participating in a season that's meant to be about Jesus' birth. You see, when when we get to this time of year, it's almost like there are two different holidays being celebrated. There's kind of the, 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 the Christian Christmas and what, what I'll call our kind of American secular Christmas. And don't get me wrong, I like American secular Christmas. All right, There's, there's, a, there's a lot of fun things about it. There's a lot of great Christmas music. Uh, Christmas in Hollis. Uh, three of you know what that is. Um, uh, that song by Alvin and the Chipmunks that my wife, if, if you could give her anything for Christmas, leave that on her voicemail and she will, she will divorce me probably. Um, all I want for Christmas is you. All of the all I want for Christmas is you. Um, um, all of those all of those great secular Christmas songs, food and family and and giving to the poor and, and all the lights. Like we we can affirm all of that. We love all of that. We're for that. But but why do we do all those things? Why the lights? What are what are the lights about? Uh, why giving? Why do, we, why do we exchange gifts? Why, why do we remember the needy? Why does family, why do we do that family thing in the holidays? Why does, why does family matter? See, if, if Christmas is just a secular holiday, then there's not really a reason for any of these things that we do each year. They're just kind of a distraction from the rest of the year. There's just kind of something different and something fun, but they really have no inherent meaning. And yeah, they're enjoyable to a lot of us, but for some of us, they're kind of to be, we, we, we kind of dread this season. We, some of us resonate with, with Blue Christmas. We're like, just, just get it over with. Uh, others of us, it's just something to be tolerated. I mean, I got to go do the, the family thing again. I got to put up with him again. Some of us feel a little bit like, uh, the Robert Earl King Christmas song, Merry Christmas from the Family. Uh, and I'm just going to read a, a couple of verses of the chorus. Carve the turkey, turn the ball game on, mix margaritas when the eggnog's gone. 
send somebody to the quick pack store, and then they repeat that chorus again, carve the turkey, turn the ball game on, and this time, make Bloody Marys because we all want one, send somebody to the stop and go, we need some celery and a can of fake snow, hallelujah, everybody say cheese, Merry Christmas from the family. But... But and a lot of us feel like that. But what if, if Christmas was about more than that? What if it was about more than just the lights? What was it? What if it was about more than just drinking enough so that we can tolerate our family Christmas celebrations and get through those? What if there was a reason for the lights and for the giving and for the the family celebrations and for remembering the poor? What if Christmas really was about something greater? Because it was about someone greater. And what if you and I had a month full of opportunities to tell people about that someone greater? How would you do that? Where would you go like, simply to tell people about Jesus? I think this text that we're going to look at this morning is, is a perfect place to go with someone and say, Hey, here's who Jesus is. This is why I'm excited about Christmas. So let's look at this together. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. This is God's word. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you were once... You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which Paul, I, Paul, became a minister. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, would you meet with us now? Uh, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you use these words that I speak? Uh, would you apply them to our lives? Would you call them to be, cause them to be faithful uh, to your word? And would you help us to see just who Jesus is and what he has done? And uh, Father, help us to see how we might use even this text to present to others uh, this Jesus that we celebrate. We pray it in his name. Amen. So, as we try to explain to somebody who Jesus is this baby in the manger that we sing all these songs about every Christmas. What do we say? Who is he? How do we explain Jesus to that family member or that coworker that we want to talk to about Jesus Christ? I I want to suggest to you that this is a place in your Bibles that you could simply turn to with somebody and begin to walk through who Jesus is. And so this is going to be a little bit different today. I don't have a a big three-point outline or anything like that. But I'm just going to kind of walk through this to hopefully show you how you might use this with somebody else. How you might turn to this passage in Colossians and say, this is who Jesus is. Would you consider who Jesus is? So we'll start here in verse 15. Paul tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the image 
of the invisible God. Uh, This verse tells us, first of all, that there is a God who is not visible. Who you and I cannot see. You can't see Him. I can't see Him. Well then, how do I know what He's like? How, How would I begin to describe Him to somebody? I mean, think about it. How many times have you heard somebody say, I prefer to think of God as, and kind of fill in that blank. Or, I don't like to think of God having any wrath. I prefer to think simply of God as a God only of love. But, but how do we come to know, how do we make assertions about what a God is like that we cannot see? Do we just get to design our own God? Is he just a God of, of personal preference? I mean, that, that doesn't even make sense, right? I mean, how would we even know that we were right if we were just making this up as we go? No, the one who is invisible has to reveal himself to us. And that's the claim that's made about the Scriptures, that God has revealed himself to us in Scripture, but he has revealed himself to us supremely in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who makes God known to us. He makes the invisible visible. Uh, Paul says that, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Uh, if, if Pine Street put a statue of George Washington, or for whatever random reason, out in front, that would be a visible image of an invisible person, or not, well, a dead person. He's not, George Washington isn't running around invisible. But that's, that's your lesson for today, uh, if you're unsure about that. So, but that would, be, that would be a visible representation of something that you can't see. Jesus is a visible representation of the visible God. Um, Genesis 3 says that in some sense we're all representations of, of God. We're all made in the image and likeness of God. But, but Paul is saying something much more than that. He's saying there's something unique about Jesus as the image of God. I think it's very similar to what's said in Hebrews chapter 1 where it says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Or John 1, which we, are, we all love to read this time of, of year. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. That Jesus has made God known to us. Uh, Paul himself here in verse 19 will go on to say, All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Jesus is the visible representation of the invisible God. So if we want to know what God is like, we aren't free... To just make that up. We don't just get to say, well, I think God is like whatever. But on the other hand, we don't have to guess about what he's like either because he's revealed that to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So my, so my application for us on this is, is really pretty simple. If you want to know what God is like, you need to find out as much as you can about what Jesus Christ is like. If you understand, want to understand who God is, you need to understand who Jesus Christ is. Uh, and, and I think as you learn more about who Jesus Christ is, you'll understand that it's not just the Apostle Paul who's claiming deity for Jesus Christ, that Jesus himself claims to be God in human flesh. It's a claim he makes for himself. 
And then the question becomes for you or for the person you're sharing this passage with, what do you do with that guy? What do you do with, with, with this person who claims to be God in the flesh? What do you do with Jesus? And how will you respond to Jesus? Uh, C.S. Lewis, one of his uh, more well-known quotes from Mere Christianity says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that pe- people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So the question is, what are are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Secondly, also from verse 15, uh, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean that Jesus is the firstborn of, or some of the translations say, over all, all of creation? Paul is not saying that Jesus is a created being because in the very next breath, he goes on to tell us that Jesus created all things. And in verse 17, he tells us that Jesus was in fact before all things. Uh, the term firstborn in the Bible doesn't always refer to your first child. It can be used to refer to someone who is beloved, as it is in Exodus 4. It can be also be used this way from Psalm 89. Uh, it refers to David and says, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. It's used to refer to someone who has this position of honor and dignity and preeminence. And so when Paul says Jesus Christ is the firstborn over all the earth, over all creation, he's saying Jesus Christ is the supreme king over everything. Jesus is the king over everything. In fact, as he goes on to say, as the king, all things were created by him, all things were created for him, All things were created through Him. The man, Jesus Christ, who walked the earth, the man, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, is also God in the flesh, who is the supreme King over all things, who made all things. Uh, That that great line from the Chronicles of Narnia, He's not safe, but He's good. He's the King, I tell you. He's the King, I tell you. And that's what Paul is telling us here. Jesus Christ is the king, and everything that exists, exists because he willed it to exist. Everything exists, exists for him. Exists that he might be honored, that he might be glorified, that it might be seen in all the world that Jesus Christ is excellent and worthy of our praise and worship and adoration and obedience. This is all about him. It's all about him. I, I, I know I've shared this illustration before, but it's one of my favorite illustrations of this. Uh, the, the, the story is told of a 
little girl in kindergarten. They were, they were getting ready to have a birthday party for her. And so they were, all the kids were sitting at a table and the moms decorated. They put balloons on all the chairs and they, they had the cake and they put party favors in front of the, the seat of each guest. And then they put the big stack of presents in front of the little girl whose birthday it was. And everybody's just happy and having a great time except for one little boy on the opposite end of the table who was just sitting there. And every time she opens a gift, he's like... And he's just, he's just so frustrated because she's getting all these gifts and he's got like sweet tarts or something. And he's, he's just so mad about this. And finally, one of the moms has to say to him, Johnny, it's not your party. It's not your party. And he was never going to enjoy the party until he realized the party wasn't about him. This is not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And, never, and we're never going to understand our seat at the party rightly. We're never going to understand it all rightly until we realize it is all about Him. It's not our party. It's not our party. The problem is that, that because of our sin, we try to make it our party. Instead of the story being about Him, we try to make the story about ourselves. And all of this cuts two ways. On the one hand, this is bad news. Because it tells me that I tried to make this about me instead of about Jesus. And it tells me that the dysfunction that I experience is because of me trying to make the story about me and the people around me trying to make the story about them. And that just creates all the, the junk that we deal with. On the other hand, the fact that this party is about Him, that this creation exists for Him, tells me that there's a purpose for all this. And that I have a role to play in this. That I have a role to play in bringing him honor and glory. I'm just not here for no reason. Uh, Sturgill Simpson's one of my new favorite country singers. And, and I was reading an interview with him recently. And he was talking about a, a dark period he went through in his life. And he said, my grim attitude said that we're all just floating around on this, insert profanity, mud ball. And someday you die. And it's like you were never here. So who cares? Like, so who cares, really? We're just kind of floating around and we're going to die and nobody's going to remember us, so who cares? Maybe you feel like that. Maybe the friend that, that you decide to share this text with feels like that. You can point to them and say, look, there, there, there's bad news in here, but there's good news for you in this. That there's a reason we're all here. That this is just not random purposelessness. There's a reason that you and I exist. You were made for something bigger than you. And that's good news. That's good news. You and I exist for Jesus Christ. To serve His purposes. To, to, to bring Him glory. That's what I'm supposed to be about today. That's what you and I are supposed to be about each day when we get up every morning. Whether I'm, when we go to work. Whether I'm turning a wrench or seeing a patient or settling a lawsuit, or working on a car, or changing a diaper, or making a grocery list, or whatever it is that we're doing, we are here to bring Jesus Christ's glory as we do our work well, as we do what we've been called to do, as we care for our families, as we love our neighbors, and as we love God. We exist for something bigger than just our immediate pleasure. Uh, the third thing in here, verse 17. He's before all things. He's before all things. I think this ties in a little bit with what we just said, but this is significant because this means that in a universe that contains 
both people and material, that the personal is more foundational than the material. Now, uh, that sounds a little, whatever, esoteric maybe, but, but, but here's why this is important. Here's what's widely assumed today. Uh, it's that the material is more foundational. And at some point in time, eons and eons and eons ago, by some random, random hap- happening, matter just kind of started swirling together and jumped around and, and, and did all this stuff and produced life and everything that you see today. That all just kind of happened. But the logical conclusion of that, what that means is, is that you and I are no more significant than a grain of sand. That, that, that I'm no more significant than, than the roach that I got Will to kill this morning because I didn't want to fool with it. Like, you know, why? I'm no more significant than, than, than that bug. That's what that means. That means that love and friendship and emotions, that that's all just random neurons firing in our brains and it doesn't really mean anything. At the end of the day, it's all just this big cosmic accident. Uh, the, the logical conclusion of that, there's a, um, a Christmas song called Christmas in L.A. And Owen Wilson is in uh, the video for this song. And he plays this actor who's trying to make it in Hollywood. And he's calling somebody <clears throat> for some advice. And this is the conversation they have. Do you have any advice for somebody trying to make it? Someone trying to break into acting? Do nothing. Why? I feel like I've been doing nothing and that hasn't got at me anywhere. Then you're in a great place. You're nothing. I'm nothing. You're nothing. I'm nothing. There is nothing. What's the point then? Nothing. To go back to the Sturgill Simpson quote, we're floating around on this big mud ball and we're going to die anyway. So, so who cares? But what if that's wrong? And what if the Apostle Paul is actually right? What if Jesus Christ really is before all things? What if Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, are actually before all things? See, to look at the universe and to say that the material is more foundational than the personal is like going and looking at a field that's been plowed and there's a guy on a tractor sitting next to it and looking at that and drawing the conclusion that that plowed field produced that farmer. That the material is more foundational than the personal. Well, that makes no sense. And what if that really isn't true? That that plowed field really was produced by that farmer on the tractor. What if Jesus Christ really is before all things? That, wouldn't that make more sense of the world as we see it? And doesn't that, make, doesn't that mean that love and relationships and friendship and happiness, that those are all much more than just chemical reactions in our brains? To, to kind of paraphrase from John Frame, It means that there is someone who wants there to be friendships. There is someone who wants there to be friendships and relationships and love. Those aren't just accidents. That means that our actions have consequences and morality is real. That means there's a person who actually cares about us and who cares what we do. That means there is design and beauty and purpose. You only get that if Jesus is before all things. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news that Jesus Christ is before all things? That this isn't just meaninglessness. We have good news to share with our neighbors. And it's not just the good news of the gospel, as good as that is. We have good news that that there's a reason for all of this. Let's keep going. 
verse 17. Uh, in him all things consist. A New International Version says, in, in him all things hold together. Uh, sometime, we're not exactly sure the dating of this, but sometimes either right before Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians or right after he wrote this letter to Colossians, there was a major earthquake that, that hit this city, killing a lot of people. Now, wouldn't it be comforting to know if you were facing that, or if you, or if you had just faced that, or if you were about to face that, that in Christ all things hold together? That if, that if things are shaking, they're because Christ has willed them to be shaken. If things are steady, it's because Jesus Christ is steadying them. On the one hand, doesn't that cut against our pride when we think, well, my life is stable because of everything that I've done. On the other hand, if you're discouraged because things are shaky right now, that, doesn't that give you hope that this isn't just some random, unexplained happening in my life doesn't just call me to cry out to Jesus who sustains and controls all things to cry out to Him and to cast myself into His hands and cry out for mercy. Uh, Number five, what can we say about Jesus? Verse 18, He's the head of the church. He's the head of the church. Um, This one's kind of for us as believers don't we always all need reminding that this isn't, this isn't my church, this isn't your church, this isn't Justin's church, this isn't our new uh, ruling elders' church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. It's His church. And wouldn't that, wouldn't that change so much of the way we think about church and worship and, and what we're here for? This is, this is His church. Uh, number 6, verse 18, He's the firstborn from among the dead. He's the firstborn from among the dead. This is not about some guy who claimed to be God and got himself killed by the Romans somehow and okay, that was the end of it. This is about the risen Jesus Christ. Christmas only matters if if Easter actually happened. Jesus is risen. Jesus has defeated death. He is reigning at the right hand of the Father even now. I, I, I heard this great quote this week about the resurrection by a Christian author who said, In a world where everyone dies, one man's resurrection becomes instantly relevant to everybody. I mean, isn't that true? In a world where everyone dies, like none of us are getting out of here alive, in a world where everyone dies, one man's resurrection becomes instantly relevant to everyone. That means that there's hope for you in Christ. There's hope for you in Christ that death does not have the final word. That's, that's the hope that sustained Larry Morris's family this week. That's the hope that will sustain you and your family when you face death, when your loved ones face death. That death does not have the last word because Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. Now... Um, we can use all of that. You can, you can work back through that with somebody to paint this. And, I, and there's a lot of rabbit trails you can go down with that, I know. But to paint this picture of, of who Jesus Christ is. What I want to do real quickly now, because we're going to come back to this in the coming week, is, is, is okay, here's kind of who he is. What did he come to do? Here's who he is. What did he come to do? Uh, look at verse 20. 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. At the cross, Jesus Christ has accomplished something that will, will finally result in the restoration of the entire universe. The creation itself is trapped in decay. It's, tra- it's trapped uh, in death. Uh, the entire universe is, is tainted by sin. And God has, something, has done something in Jesus Christ to set that all right. And the setting of, of making everything right begins in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God is, is going to reclaim and restore every square inch of his universe. And that starts in what Jesus Christ has come to do. Uh, for those of you who've seen, uh, I can't remember the name, Fantastical Beast or whatever the name of the new Harry Potter movie is. You know how the, when, the, when the people mess things up or when the wizards mess things up, like they tear up some buildings and they don't want the people to, to know about it. So they kind of blank their memories, but then they have to go back and they restore the building. And there's these great scenes where all these buildings have collapsed and then they're just like, they just come back up. And they're new and they're right and they're, they're what they're supposed to be. We're living in a collapsed building, y'all. This, this world is a collapsed building in many ways. That God is going to renew and restore and make right. And that starts with what Jesus has done at the cross. The, the whole thing is broken. It is in the grip of death. And we feel that when we're not covering it up with our amusements. We feel that. But, but God is going to make that all right. Uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when the Christ figure Aslan uh, comes back to life after being killed on the stone table, and Susan's asking him, what, what does this all mean? And this is what he says. It means that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. There's a magic unleashed, if I can use that word. Uh, through Jesus' work on the cross that will result in the final restoration of all of creation. And you know what? That's just not this big picture thing. You can be a part of that. I can be a part of that. I can experience, you can experience death working backwards. You can have the hope of resurrection life for yourself. You can, can have your shame and your guilt done away with. You can have your sins forgiven and be restored to a right relationship with God. How, verse 21. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before Him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The hope for you is in the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, who comes to die to forgive sin. You know why there are lights at Christmas? You only have all these lights at Christmas because Jesus came to bring light into darkness. That's what all the lights are about. Now, all your neighbors have lights. 
saying Jesus came to bring light into the darkness. You know why it's good to remember family? Why family matters? Because at the foundation of the universe is, is not a lone, solitary God sitting all by himself. It's a God who has existed always in three persons in relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the love that we share with one another is an image. It's a reflection that's shared within the triune God. You know why we remember the poor at Christmas? Because Jesus remembered us when we were poor. Do you know why we give gifts at Christmas? Because God in Christ has given us the greatest gift possible. I think there's, there's a gift there for us, for you, to go and to share with your friends and your loved ones, your co-workers and your neighbors. And maybe you can start sharing it by using Colossians 1. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, uh, you have given us the greatest gift. It is an undeserved gift. It's a free gift. We don't work for it. We don't deserve it. We simply receive it through faith in Jesus. So I I pray, Father, that even today you might be granting faith that that we might believe and rest in Jesus and look forward uh, to this new creation that he has uh, begun the work of bringing about. Uh, Give us hope. Give us joy at Christmas. Help us to enjoy all the lights and everything that goes on at Christmas. Uh, But help us also to to be thoughtful and to think about ways uh, that we might point others to Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.